Let's talk about that speech with Claire and Rachel. This episode is brought to you by Visit Williamsburg. In Williamsburg, Virginia, there's never too much of a good thing. Whether you're a foodie, a golfer, a history buff, a shopaholic, an outdoor enthusiast, or a thrill seeker, you'll find what you came for here and more. So ask yourself, what is it you want? Discover Williamsburg and plan your trip at visitwilliamsburg.com. Hey, everyone, and welcome back to the Let's Talk About Speech podcast. I'm Rachel. And I'm Claire. And we're back for another episode. Last week, we talked all about baby sign and the importance of implementing it and how you would go about that. We had an amazing special guest, Mary. So if you haven't had the chance to check that out, stop, go listen, and then come back. Yeah. And today we have an episode that um, really goes along well for next steps, um, especially if you're working in intervention, early intervention, I'm sorry, um, and you are implementing some sign language and then kind of where to go next and how to elicit communication from a child that you're working with or parents out there that are listening from your child. So we're going to go over really basic aspects of speech and language and communication. And we're going to give you guys some ideas from our handouts. Actually, um, we Rachel and I made some handout bundles that are really great for ways to incorporate language into the home environment, into your everyday life. Um, so we'll reference some of those and let you know how you can check those out more. So just starting with some of the basics, we want to give some definition to things for parents, especially that might not know what these are. Um, language is really split into two big parts, receptive and expressive. Um, but I think a part that sometimes gets just forgotten about sometimes is social language. Um, so I actually want to talk about social language first. And what social language is, is it's how we interact with others. So that also encompasses play-based activities that these little kids that you're seeing are, they may be lacking. And if a child doesn't have play skills and they don't have things like joint attention or turn-taking, um, back and forth play, imitation, things that are all elicited through play and things that children learn language from, that's really where we need to start. So um, if you're in early intervention, you already know this, but a lot of times goals for my early intervention kids would just be something as simple as will maintain joint attention for this amount of time or will pass a ball back and forth or will, um, I don't know, Rachel, what are some of yours? Some that are like play-based activities. Yeah, I was going to say, um, this kind of goes along with joint attention, but like eye contact, I, anything yeah. that's like showing you that they are able to gear their attention towards you. Mm -hmm. Um, whether that's like, you know, interacting with different toys or showing you they're engaged with eye contact, because without that, you really can't move past that. Right. right. So you need them to be able to hold that attention to then work on whatever your next goals would be. Right. Even pretend play. I was just thinking I've had goals that are really just the child will participate in pretend play for mm -hmm. this many times. Um, and that's just like stirring 
a bowl with a spoon and um, just engaging in some of those really simple play-based language activities. So that's first. Um, and then I think the other two that you all might be more familiar with are receptive and expressive language, but I wanted to make sure we touched on social first because that's so crucial in the little ones that we treat. Um, but then language really comes down to expressive language, which is what we express or say and or gesture, depending on how you communicate and then receptive language, which is what we understand. So I think that um, just kind of in my course of being an SLP, I really have to explain this to parents because why would they know this? There's no reason for mm -hmm. them to know this, but it's an important thing for them to know because if a child isn't understanding something, receptive language, they're not going to be able to express it, expressive language. So generally receptive language will come first. And that's a really important stepping stone to them eventually communicating and being able to express themselves. So those are really just the things that you should be explaining to parents and that parents really should know so that they understand the goals that you're making for their child who might not be speaking yet. Cause I know sometimes parents are like, oh, we're just going to get our first word. That's the goal. But it's generally a lot of things that come before that. And I would agree with that. I feel like several parents that I see through my private practice really had no clue about the differences between that. Mm -hmm. So for example, I know back in the summer, I did the um, PLS evaluation to kind of figure out where this little guy was and his receptive was like completely average, right? I think the standard score is like 98 or something like that, but his expressive was you know, pretty significantly delayed. It was like in the sixties and just being able to sit down and have that conversation with them that, you know, language as a whole that we're looking at right now is broken down into two different parts in this aspect of it is a huge strength for him. It's average. He's able to understand, you know, the simple directions that you're giving him and identify body parts and things like that. Whereas, you know, the expressive language is a little bit more difficult. So I do think that's a really important distinction that, you know, in my CF or even my first year, I don't know that I would have thought I had to explain that to parents. Yeah, I agree. I didn't learn that until later on either until I was, mm -hmm. especially in like an outpatient setting um, and actually gotten for you too, Rachel, I'm sure in private practice where you're actually able to talk to the parents, it's a little different mm -hmm. um, because I started in a school too. So it's a little bit harder to explain all of this to parents because it does take some time. And a lot of times they don't quite understand first. You do have to explain it a couple different times and maybe a couple different ways, but it's important. Definitely. So the next thing that we wanted to kind of make the distinction between was language versus communication. So language is a system of communication that encompasses sounds, gestures, and written language where people can express themselves. Whereas communication is really the foundational skill of just transferring information from one person um, place or group to another. So that's an important distinction to make also. And it's so important for people to understand, which is kind of how Claire and I came up with our ideas for handout bundles that you can create language rich opportunities and everyday routines. And if you've been listening to the podcast for a while, I'm sure you've heard us say that so many different times, but 
it's so important because as a parent or an educator, an SLP, you and we are tasked with the job of enhancing our children's environments by whatever means necessary. So those everyday routines like mealtimes, car rides, different play opportunities, those are all key examples of different moments that you can use to facilitate that rich and authentic language development. So the next thing to keep in mind is that communication can look very different. And we kind of broke it down into six different areas. Um, the first would be requesting. So this is if your student or child says, I want to eat a banana. The next would be question asking. So maybe they say, where is the banana? And then commenting, the banana is yellow. The next would be directing, so put the banana on the plate. And then reporting, so mom and dad bought me a banana at the zoo yesterday. And then the last would be assertiveness. So maybe they say, this is my banana, don't take it. So it's important to keep in mind that while those, all of those examples would fall under expressive language, um, it can vary a lot. And you know, maybe questions are more difficult or maybe they only comment. So they only point out um, like physical features of different things, but, you know, directing or even reporting like that storytelling aspect, maybe that's really challenging for them. So we did want to kind of go over the um, differences between all of those. And all of those are so important when looking at a child and their expressive language difficulties too. I feel like Sometimes as SLPs, we almost get like tunnel vision with expressive language, expressive language. Like, what are they saying? How are they saying it? Um, but these different types of communication that Rachel just pointed out is so important. Like, are they able to report? It kind of goes even further. You can, when they get older, <laughs> we mm -hmm. can look at this even further into like narrative language. So are they reporting? Are they able to tell a story? Are they able to communicate in a variety of different ways? Because sometimes kids have trouble, they can express themselves and they can get along or they can get away with it for a while because they're functional, mm -hmm. but they may have some of these just splinter deficits that they might be missing. Um, and it's really important to look at them all. Definitely. So the other thing we wanted to touch on was Obviously, that communication as a whole is more than talking, which Claire and I have touched on. There are gestures. Um, obviously, there's sign that we talked about last week, eye contact, which we've already touched on, attention span, which I think is huge. Um, if you guys don't follow, learn with chatterboxes on Instagram yet, you should. She posts amazing information. And one of the slides that she posted was all about attention span. And I think this is so important to share with parents because I think sometimes expectations are really high. Um, and for something like attention span, I think expectations should be pretty low. Uh, so I'm just going to read through some of the information that she had. So for eight to 15 months, the attention span's only around one minute. Um, 16 to 19 months, you're up to two to three minutes, 20 to 24 months, so just about two, three to six minutes. If you're three years old, it's five to eight, four years old, it's eight to 10, and five years old, you're finally up to, you know, a substantial amount of time, which is 10 to 15 minutes. So if you're a CF or an SLP that's new to early intervention, that's super important to keep in mind too, because 
you know, therapy sessions are usually in 30 minute blocks or 50 minute blocks or an hour or whatever. So it's important to have lots of activities planned, right? Because you are going to be moving through that time relatively quickly uh, because of the limited attention span. So that's just something that's a tip that I have. (laughs) Yeah. And I think it's such a good tip for SLPs too, because I didn't know those numbers until she posted mm-hmm. that until Kaylee posted that. So shout out to her. Cause that was really great information and that's backed by research and, um, something good that I saved that I can look back at because it's good for us to know as well. So the next thing that we wanted to talk about was, um, just some ways to elicit communication. And if you are an SLP, you will be familiar with these terms, but I think they're definitely newer terms to, families and parents. Um, but they're really, really important in a listing communication and they're really fun things to do to elicit that. So the first is communication temptation. So this is really just creating a situation that motivates the child to communicate before they are getting something they want or need. So it's basically teaching them that they need to do something to get something else out of it. And it's creating um, almost a sabotage environment. And SLPs know what that is as well, um, where you are putting something, for example, out of reach. So maybe you're putting it up on a cabinet that they can't reach. Maybe you're putting it in a box that they can't open because their hands are too small and it has a click or something. And you are handing it to them and you just wait and wait time for communication temptation, especially is the most important part of it because they might get a little bit frustrated or they might kind of look at you like, what is going on? I want this, you know what I want. And even though you know what they want, the goal is for them to be able to communicate it in some way. If they are at just the gesture portion of expressive language, maybe that's what they do. Maybe they sign more or maybe they sign open or maybe they just point to it. Maybe they just make eye contact with you, whatever stage in their language they are at, that is where you are trying to gain their communication in order for them to get something. Um, so the box, the placing it out of reach, those are, are really good ways to, um, elicit that. And then also finding an activity that can be stopped and started. So, um, again, SLPs know the wind up toys, especially if you administer the PLS, we use the wind up toys as that kind of communication temptation, administering that test, but also in therapy activities as well. Um, so the wind up toy bubbles, anything that can, or anything that has some sort of button that you can keep away from the child. So with music, if you have something that they really like, but it stops and you take it away from them and they have to communicate for it to resume. Um, Those are all really fun activities. And then again, the biggest thing with this is wait time. And then also just making sure you're as animated as possible. I always kind of felt like a crazy person when I did this with my EI kids, but I literally was in their face. I held their eye contact. I gave them, you can't see me, but like my eyes were really wide. I sometimes would even like put my finger really close to the button and act like I was going to push it or act like I was going to open it, but not, and just stop and look at them and hold their eye gaze and wait for them to do something. And then I always tell parents when I'm teaching this strategy to wait until they drop your eye gaze, if they're not looking at you and they're not invested in what you're doing, this isn't going to work. So you really have to kind of read their body language with this and figure out when they 
stop. And if they don't communicate before they stop looking, that's when you either do a hand over hand gesture for them. If they're at that stage, you model the word for them that you are expecting. Hopefully they'll repeat it if they're again at that stage. But, um, the goal is to get them to initiate the communication and for them to initiate what they want or need. And it's great and it's fun. And you can do it with really fun activities. I just wanted to share my love for wind up toys because (laughs) I buy them in bulk now, like from Oriental trading, Mm -hmm. or you can find them in like the party favor aisle Mm -hmm. at target or something. And I leave them with my families that I see and have them practice it because I they're perfect because they're perfect to a natural conclusion and stop. Mm-hmm. Right. So mm-hmm. like the fun aspect of the wind up toy is over. And for the most part, they can almost never start them by themselves. Yeah. I have had a couple smarties figure it out <laughs> or a couple so, that will try their hardest. Like mm-hmm. they will ask you, they'll just sit there and they're like, I'm going to get this. So there are, there are some ex- exceptions to the rule here. <laughs> yes, definitely. Another thing that I wanted to say really quickly was if you are um, demonstrating these different communica- communication temptations and that you think they're not communicating at all, take a look at their behavior because if they're getting frustrated and, you know, like throwing a fit or going into a tantrum or body on the floor, so behavior is communication. And the reason that they're doing that is because they're unable to express their needs and wants. So maybe they want what's in that box so badly, but they don't know how to tell you. So that's what they do. That's the perfect time, like Claire said, um, is to model, model the sign for more, um, either with your hands or if you're using pictures or however you're doing it, that's the perfect time to model because the more that you do that over and over and over again, the more likely they are to catch on. Right. And the over and over and over again is another strategy, right? Mm-hmm. And that's a verbal routine, which goes right into what we're talking about next, which is verbal routine. So um, they really overlap here, I would say, because like Rachel said, if in the beginning, they would, the fact of, I'm sorry, the reason we are teaching the communication temptation is to elicit a response from them and it's to get them to initiate something. So while we're teaching them, they're not necessarily going to do it on their own right away. It's just not going to happen because we need to teach them first. Kids don't learn it if we don't teach it and if they're not exposed to it. So a verbal routine can be implemented at the same time as a communication temptation. And what a verbal routine is, is it's words that become predictable to the child because you say them over and over and over again, like Rachel was saying, um, or you say them in the same way at the same time during the same activity in the same way. So it, the most popular one I think is ready, set, go. But instead of just saying ready, set, go every time, let's say you're on a swing or you're in you're jumping or you are playing airplane with your kid or something, something fun where you are physically moving them for ready, set, go. Instead of saying all those words each time, you're going to stop right before you say go and you're just going to leave it. And that is a verbal routine, but it's also a communication temptation because they want you to say go. They want you to lift them up or they want you to push them or whatever it is that you're doing, but you're just stopping and you're not completing what they have heard you say over and over and over again. So 
the hope with this is that if it's a routine that they are very familiar with and recognize, the hope is that they will respond with the rest of the routine. And I also want to say with this, it's not necessarily going to be a perfect go. It might just be a, uh, or a, oh, or even just a, ah, it might not even be anything like go. It might just be something, but that's them communicating because they know that some sort of verbalization is supposed to go there. Um, I worked with a really, really little kid once who loved being on this swing and we worked with ready, set, go on the swing. And just every time I said ready, set, he would just say, oh, but he held my eye contact. He was super invested in this game and it was his way of communicating. And it eventually, after we worked on this for a few sessions, that uh became go and it became more of a word. It's just, you have to be, you have to be, um, you just have to push it a little bit and you have yeah. to be consistent with it and you have to keep going and you have to be patient and let them learn it at their own pace, but also while you're giving them the appropriate supports for it. So some other ones that you could do, and I know there's a million out there, but you could do something like one, two, three, you could do vroom, vroom, beep, beep with cars. There's so many that you can do. And if you have a toy or a routine that you're doing with your child that you need help with, let us know. We would love to help you come up with a verbal routine. Um, but there's so many out there. And again, just that wait time is really significant with this. And then also being as animated as possible. Same thing with communication temptations. They're really, really along the lines of the same activity. And that's one thing I always tell my parents is that you have to be invested in the process. Yes, exactly. And right. It might to, take time. Yeah. You have to understand that just because that's pretty much all we worked on for a 30 minute session. That does not by any means mean that by the end of that session, they're going to be saying go exactly. Or they're going to be, you know, exactly. It took verbal. us, it took us probably over a month to get that word, but mm -hmm. we did it because we were consistent and we pushed for it. So definitely. So Claire and I wanted to go over kind of four more terms as far as early intervention language as a whole goes. So the first one that I wanted to talk about was labeling. So this is just giving names to those familiar objects that your child's attending to. So often this is when you're pointing at them. So if you just walk around the room and you're doing exactly what I said and just labeling. So juice, cat, ball, apple. This is something that we talked about on um, one of our podcasts that was about earlier intervention and in that when I go on a walk with Henry, I narrate everything that I see. We point everything out um, because that's a great way to just expose them to as much language as possible. The next would be following directions. So this falls under that receptive language or ability to understand. And that's just an individual's ability to act on requests that are made by others. So something as simple as stand up, go get the ball, bring me this, sit down. Those are all examples um, for following directions. The next is expanding. So this is when you model the child's utterance with appropriate grammar. So here's an example. If the child says baby sleep, that's your opportunity to expand upon that and say the baby is sleeping. 
versus this next one, which is extending. And that's when you model the child's utterance, utterance, excuse me, but with more information. So same thing, say the child says baby sleep. This is the adult's opportunity to say, yes, the baby is tired, night, night, baby. So they're similar um, and they can go together, but they are also different. Um, so we kind of wanted to make the distinction between those because those are both super important once they start picking up on words and you know maybe they're at the two word or three word utterance that's a perfect time to add in more language to expose them to yeah definitely those are all such good strategies too so if you guys have any questions about those let us know um and now we're going to go over some of the things that we have in our handout so Again, Rachel and I have two handout bundles. One is on everyday speech activities, and then the other is on toys. So um, what these do is they really look at how you can so easily incorporate some of these strategies like communication temptations and verbal routines into things you might already be doing as parents, into things you're already doing as an SLP, or just to give parents these ideas for what they can do to carry over the skills that you are teaching in your therapy sessions. So one of our handouts is on bubbles and bubbles are my personal favorite activity. I do them <laughs> indoors and kids think it's so fun and like we're breaking the rules. So it's really cool because <laughs> mom doesn't let me blow bubbles inside. Um, but it's, it's really fun because I don't mind that we're doing it. And it's a great opportunity for these communication temptations and verbal routines that we were just talking about. So the first thing you can do for a communication temptation is just give the child the jar or whatever the bubbles are in with the lid on tightened so that hopefully they can't open it themselves. Sometimes again, you'll have an exception and the kid will be able to, but let's just say they're not able to. So you hand it to them and you wait. And they're probably going to check it out and be kind of confused. Like this isn't working. I know what's in here, but I can't get to it. So the goal is for them to hopefully sign more or sign open or be able to give a word to let you know what they want. Again, like Rachel was saying, if they start to get frustrated, that's the time when you model and you, you teach the skill that you want them to have from this, which is them to be able to initiate what they want. So that's when you teach it. Another thing you can do is take a big breath with the wand in front of your mouth. So this is one of my favorite things because they are so ready for this bubble to come because I, I took the wand out, it's in front of my mouth and the bubble is coming, but instead of blowing, I just wait literally with my mouth open. I again, probably mm -hmm. look like a psycho, mm -hmm. but, um, I just hold their eye gaze and I wait. And again, if they are unable to communicate something, I just model or hand over hand and away we go. But it's a really great opportunity for me to wait and see what they will do to communicate what they want. And then some verbal routines, ready, set, go is a good one for this one, two, three, um, something else is just popping the bubbles. So like pop, 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 pop in different sing-songy voices. And that P sound is a really easy early development sound that they could maybe even just do the pop, pop, pop sounds while you're popping. Um, and then watching the bubbles go up, up, up and down, down, down. And yeah, you can make up your own too. Whatever you're doing with the bubbles, you can do a lot with it. I've had whole sessions where all we do is bubbles and we do so much language with it. <laughs> mm -hmm. I love bubbles. So the next example that we had was for working with puzzles and um, the communication temptations that you could create with this was just placing the 
puzzle box in front of them and then just wait. Or if they're clever enough to know how to open it and kind of get into those pieces, maybe show it to them, get their interest, they're engaged, they want to play with it, and then place it out of reach. And then again, just wait. And sometimes this wait time can feel like, all right, should I stop waiting? Should I keep going? And I feel like a lot of times that's one of the biggest mistakes I think that you can make is kind of not waiting, you know, too long and just kind of diving into it. Cause it does feel awkward. Mm-hmm. Um, it, cause it's an unnatural feeling, but the wait time is so important. So that's a good one that I love. And then another one is just opening the box, taking a piece out, putting it in front of them and then closing the box and wait. So they're going to want to know where are more, you know, I want more. I know what these go to, especially if you kind of hyped them up and showed them all of the pieces in the box or the picture you're going to make. So those are ones that I like. And then for verbal routines, you can use put on or take off or all done. All done is a great one that you can use for so many activities. It's awesome because it can be generalized, um, whether you're eating or washing your hands or playing with a toy. And then the other one we had was, wow, look, and that gasp that you do before and words like wow or uh-oh, those are all really engaging words. So I use those a ton in my session because they draw in their attention, especially if they're maybe still struggling with consistent joint attention or maybe that attention span is coming in and it's a little bit lower than you had hoped for. So those are really um good words to kind of bring them back to what you guys are working on. I always tell my parents when you're waiting and it feels like super uncomfortable and like you can't wait anymore, wait 10 seconds longer, like Mm -hmm. just keep doing it. I know it feels weird, but again, as long as the child is engaged, some, you might be really surprised with how long they hold it out because they are Mm -hmm. waiting for you to do something. And if you wait with them, you might be surprised how long they stay attended to that. So that's kind of a cool attention task as well to test that out. Yeah, for sure. So we only are going to go over those two, but if you guys want to check out our handout bundle, there's over, I think 25. I know the handout bundle as a whole comes with over 50 pages and they are so helpful for parents. I've started, um, I have them all printed out in a binder and I've started just leaving one with my families each week. Mm -hmm. And then that's a great thing to check in on the next time that you see them is, you know, how's it going? What things have you tried? What things worked? What things didn't work? And it kind of helps guide the parents to remember all of this information that you throw at them as opposed to, you know, talking to them the last five minutes of a session and just hoping that it's they, they remember. Yeah, <laughs> for sure. So the next ones, we wanted to go over two different routines since we also have a bundle for that. And since these are everyday routines that everyone engages in, um, the first one is just language while reading books. Claire and I love um, reading books and we think it's so important to tie that into therapy. So we don't have verbal routines or communication temptations for these, but we have a list of vocabulary words and then different questions and different activities to follow that up with. So maybe for vocabulary, this goes back to that labeling aspect and you're just tying in words like book or story, page, cover, flip, turn, 
Um, you can identify colors, letters, numbers. I know sometimes reading books, it's hard to hold their attention. So I will just start pointing out different things I see. So I see red, I see a square, I see a bunny, because sometimes that can be more engaging than sitting and listening to a story, especially if it's a long story. And then follow-up questions for um, our more verbal students or children would be, you know, what is the story about? Who are the characters? Where are they? So what's the setting? How are they feeling? What do you think will happen next? And then as far as different activities go, uh, you can talk about like sequencing aspects. So what happens first, next, and last in the story? And then just having them point to different things in the story by giving them the model point to the dog, point to the tree. Those are great um, kind of go-to activities for any book that you're reading. And then the other routine we had that we're going to talk about today is bedtime. So language that you can incorporate into your bedtime routine, which is something that every parent goes through to some extent is putting their child to bed and brushing their teeth and taking a bath and all of those things. So, um, just some words that you can incorporate is again, every part that you do to get ready for bed. Um, and then once you're in the bedroom, you can go around the bedroom and label things. So you can label bed, blanket, pillow, covers. Um, if you're reading a book, labeling the things in the book that Rachel was just talking about. Um, you can talk about being sleepy, being tired, it being dark, the lights going on and off. So those are some really good vocabulary words. There's a ton that you can incorporate at bedtime. Um, a really fun verbal routine that I like to tell parents is to say night, night to all of the things you're labeling within the room. So, um, I know my nephew used to do this when they were little, they would go, around his room and just say to all the objects like night, night chair, night, night lamp, mm -hmm. night, night bear. And like maybe name all of the stuffed animals in the room, night, night mm -hmm. to all the stuffed animals. Um, and eventually, hopefully that elicits some language, even if it's just night, night to all of the things, if they're not able to quite label what the things are yet, but that night, night is a really great verbal routine to use. Um, if the child's a little bit older, you can kind of prompt them with some questions about going to bed. So when do we go to sleep? Where do you sleep? And then even talk about like, what will you dream or what did you dream about and talk about what dreams are. And then just some activities that you can do at bedtime is to read books, which Rachel really talked about is such an important thing um, to just incorporate into your bed, bedtime routine. I know that kids will enjoy it and they will look forward to it if you make it a part of the routine. If there's, you read two to three books every night before bedtime, maybe more, um, and you let them pick out the book and feel it. And even if they're not old enough to know the story yet, like Rachel said, just point to the pictures and flip through it, get them acclimated with the book. And then just singing calm songs, any like nursery rhyme type songs, um, songs at bedtime, <laughs> you have to be a little careful because you don't want to amp them up and like hype them up with it, but um, just calming songs. And that could be really good opportunities for some verbal routines as well. If you're singing them songs that they're familiar with. Definitely. So again, we are only going over two routines, but our bundle has, I think, close to 30 and again, over 50 handouts for parents. Those are super helpful, again, because they are everyday things that parents are already doing. So it's the perfect opportunity to tie in that language. 
And the last thing we wanted to talk about was kind of how to make teletherapy engaging for early intervention. I know it can be really challenging and um, intimidating working with the early intervention population via teletherapy, um, especially because of that attention span we've touched on so much. But these are some tips that we have for parents, and that's just to be present and engaged with your child. Um, it's also really important to be familiar with the therapy goals or activities beforehand. So look on your treatment plan or look on your IEP or talk to your speech therapist before you guys get started, just so you're prepared on what to expect, um, because that way it'll be easier to be engaged with them. So if you need um, certain materials or toys or books or something to keep them engaged while the teletherapist is you know, on the computer, um, that can be really helpful also. And then uh, being animated. So I talked about this exclamatory words like, uh-oh, wow, or gasping, changing voices for different characters. If you guys are reading books, that's really important. And then just remembering to take it easy on yourself because it's incredibly challenging to adapt to new ways of learning for both the child, the parent, and the SLP because teletherapy is kind of new still to all of us. Um, I know we've been doing it for a while, but every child is different. Everyone reacts different. Um, you know, maybe one session will be great and you have so much success. And then the next session kind of bombs. I've been there where you end the session and you're like, oh no, that did not go how I had planned. So just remembering to take it easy on yourself, I think is a huge, huge plus. Yeah. And especially for early intervention, if you are seeing these kids on telehealth or teletherapy, just bringing the parents in as much as you possibly can. And I feel like a lot of the sessions are going to feel like it's just true parent coaching because the kid might not, might not want anything to do with you. And it's nothing that you're doing. They might just, maybe their parents are pretty strict on screens. And so the child just doesn't really interact with screens very much. Mm -hmm. um, and that's great. We don't want them to be zombies and on the screen for three plus hours a day. So that's actually not a bad thing, but that means that you are really going to have to be a coach for the parent, which we've talked about in our previous episodes and how to do parent coaching. So make sure you look at some of those previous episodes we have on how to do that, because that's really important. Um, and I feel like my sessions with my little kids generally turn into that. Even if the child starts on the screen for the first, maybe 10 minutes, usually turns more into us telling, um, mm -hmm. my student and I telling what to do for the parent. So that's usually that's how nice. it goes <laughs> and that's okay. That's, that's totally fine. You're still giving them therapy. You're giving them ideas and you're giving the parent confidence too, because they can do this, you know, they can do what you're doing and be effective. Definitely. So if you guys heard anything during this episode that you want more information on, if you have any questions, if you need help coming up with verbal routines or can't quite figure out how to make a communication temptation for a certain activity, feel free to uh, DM us on Instagram. We can kind of chat it out with you or you can always email us too. So feel free to reach out. 
Well, guys, that wraps up this episode. Thank you again so much for joining us. And as always, you can find me, Rachel, on Instagram at supersweetspeech. And if you or anyone you know is in need of speech therapy in Southeast Michigan, feel free to email me at speechissupersweet at gmail.com. And you can also follow the Let's Talk About Speech podcast on both Facebook and Instagram. So make sure you give those a like and a follow. And you can find me, Claire, on Instagram at kindly underscore speech or my Facebook page, Kindly Speech LLC. And if anyone in the Ohio area is in need of speech teletherapy, please contact me, kindlyspeechllc at gmail.com. Rachel and I also have an email for the podcast that you can email us with suggestions or if you or someone you know wants to be on the podcast, that's let's talk about speech podcast at gmail.com. Thank you so much for listening. Bye.